Welcome to the Teaching Excellence podcast, hosted by me, Steph Wilkinson, quality improvement specialist and wellbeing fanatic, interested in how we provide high quality education. I'm interested in culture, innovation, and how we use evidence-informed practice to really make a difference. I'm joined each week by people doing great things in education to share their experiences and freshest thinking with you all. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Um, Today I am joined by Stuart Rimmer and I'm super excited to have him on. He's the first principal on the Teaching Excellence podcast. So welcome Stuart. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being the first principal. That's quite exciting. Yeah, no, I've I've been a little bit nervous, you know, and I don't really get nervous doing this sort of thing anymore because it's all it's just about conversation. It's just about people in education having a conversation. But I think it's that daft thing about like principalship stuff and people who've worked with me actually would tell you that I'm not really like fearful of of hierarchy or authority because we're all just humans but I think I take a responsibility interviewing a principal oh that's very kind I I guess uh, well don't be at ease because I I reckon principals are mostly uh, get nervous about talking to teaching and learning experts these days (laughs) Uh, that's that's probably further away than we should be away from the action so uh, I'll, I'll be equally as nervous for you Oh, great. No, thanks for coming on. Um, there's all sorts that we've um, got in common in terms of interest, but maybe coming from quite a different sort of perspective and different experiences. So um, I'll, I'll jump in, actually, just for those who don't know you, what do you do and what's your kind of like story journey in FE? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm Principal Chief Exec at East Coast College. Uh, so that's down in East Anglia. Uh, it's, uh, we merged a couple of colleges a few years ago, so, so three together. Um, in Lowestoft and Great Yarmouth, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's a you know the, the seaside towns uh, who've uh, who are, are on the rise, but have had you know tough tough times in the last few years, and perhaps a few more tough years ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I hail from a, a seaside town, I'm originally from Morecambe, up in up in. Uh, oh really? Lancashire, so probably not too far away from you. And um, and I, and I went to an FE college. Uh, I, I did a, a one year sort of A level. You'd call it an access program these days. Um, so I'm a be- I'm a beneficiary of FE, and then uh, and then later I went to go and work as a director of quality back at that uh, at that same FE college in Lancaster and Morecambe. So um, and then in between time, I guess um, I, I worked in Newcastle College back in the uh, back in its uh, absolute heyday. Not that it's not in a heyday now, but in its uh, you know its famous days. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, so yeah, I've been down in uh, in Great Yarmouth now for I think this is my ninth academic year coming in as a principal amazing and what I didn't tell you before well I, I mentioned I was in Cheshire but I'm actually originally from Wigan so oh, my um, mum and dad still live in Wigan now they're in Stanford no <laughs> I love that happy. yeah no so um mum and dad still live in um well one in Ashton and, and one in um, Marysbridge so yeah no um that small world always uh, surprises me where people are from <laughs> um but yeah, um, talk to me a little bit about, I'm really interested in in leadership and I'm really interested in kind of how over that that period of time that you just, you know, briefly talked about what you've learned in both sort of what have been the tough lessons, what have been the challenges and then what are the things that have really shaped you or changed you as a person? Yeah, wow, big, big question. I guess yeah, you know, you know, it's a bit cliche, but every day is a, a school day, isn't it? In, in a leadership role. Um, 
one of my reflections actually you know, start to think about this new academic year and, and and it's come off the back of the last sort of like two or three of the disruption we've had is that um I, I think every single person who works in fe is in a leadership role um we often talk about leaders being you know people who wear suits and, and have higher salaries and or and that sort of thing but actually um it's about how do we lead learners uh, ultimately and 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 actually this, over the last couple of years probably how do we lead ourselves and that's the biggest transformation any leader who's been in a, in a, in a big job for a, a long time has is uh, before you can lead the organization you have to learn to lead yourself um, and have that um, self-discipline um, have that sort of resilience that fortitude that sort of some of those character traits that you develop over over time some are innate and born into you but some of it through training um, and then you and then you've got different levels of expertise I guess in terms of leadership you think about is um, being a principal is kind of really interesting because I came up through the quality role where uh, you know you had to become a sort of a inverted commas expert teacher and then you went you know to become a curriculum leader and a curriculum manager and then I, I led into you know, head of quality and director of quality and some of those things so it was a very technical kind of route in and then um, suddenly you find yourself in, in a principal's job and probably the distinguishing moment is uh, that you become an absolute jack of all trades uh, and master of none uh, and, uh, and and you should never think you're a master of them because you're not um, uh, so suddenly you're trying to balance um, you know half your time is spent on finance and the states and health and safety and you know uh, whether the drains are blocked and the car parks got holes in it or and and some of those things and I think that's kind of um, it's distractive in a way but learning to try and balance that portfolio of, uh, of activity that has become more and more complex yeah um, and, and I guess principals are principals hold two titles which I always think is interesting it's principal and chief executive mm. and the chief executive in my simple world of thinking is is, is the business stuff uh, keeping the, the you know the train on the track and then the principal stuff is about that uh, educational character and principles in which you operate in the institution and then hopefully people get that and and, and sort of roll with it um along a little bit so um although i will i will say probably that back to the, you know everyone's a leader in fe that um if i would describe you know principal jobs these days i'd describe them as high pressure complex uh operating you know to try and interpret policy um but I'd say that for every single job in a fee now. I don't know any, you know, if someone's doing learning support, they've probably got a complex, high-pressure job that's that's trying to interpret policy. And, and, and I think we've got this commonality now that we sometimes uh, don't perhaps spend enough time talking about. Yeah, and and, and we'll come on to that a little bit more because um, there's a couple of things bobbling around in my head. I've, um, I'm doing research at the minute. I'm doing an MPhil with Sunset and... I'm focusing on flourishing, but in, in that literature review and in that context and challenge that I've got to paint a picture of, a biggie that's coming up is sort of the evolution of FE. Mm. But then the how that has meant we need like different skills to run such big organizations. And, you know, we have different size FE colleges. Um, and I'm not saying that they're all big and but what what the word you said there that really resonated me, with me is complex and actually we we do have a recruitment and retention issue in education generally but like how do we inspire people to want to lead in FE these days because it feels like the narrative is that it's so hard 
Uh, yeah, there's loads in what you've just said. Um, and I, and I take, take it where you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there's a few things that you're right. There is a there is an underlying narrative of it being difficult because, mm. uh, and I think there's um, that's not just a narrative. That's just fact. Yeah. Um, that the last, you know, I've been a principal for almost a decade, and mm. and the simple thing is, was it easier a decade ago? And the answer is yes. And, and was it easier, you know, 15 years ago? Yes, it was. Um, and it's, so it's becoming more difficult. And it's, as you say, colleges have got bigger and therefore the skill set's different. Um, and I think sometimes you've got that uh, perhaps disconnection, uh, which can easily happen in a you know, larger, I'm, well, I'm not particularly massive college, uh, we're probably medium size in the new world, uh, but we're on a couple of three sites and, and you know, 600 staff and 8,000 learners. And, and so there is a, a, certainly a disconnect that you wouldn't have had 15, 20 years ago, yeah. where a principal could wander around and know students' names and know all the staff. Even um, uh, you know, I, I always I always feel really embarrassed uh, when I see staff names and things, and I meet people, and I'm not always you know not always 100 sure whoever he is. So you, you're right. That's, so that's really difficult to then get what I think is a a single narrative, not across the sector. Let's you know park that for a second. But how do you get a single narrative across a, an FE institution where? Uh, some learners are doing apprenticeships and some are doing uh, adult community learning and some are doing um, higher education and, and those learners look and feel different. Yeah. And uh, I've wasted loads of time from being blunt with, uh, trying to uh, talk to my, you know, my, my college about culture and um, sort of creating this kind of single set of cultural approaches. And, and I've you know, realised it's I've wasted my time in some respects because actually colleges are tribal. Yeah. Um, getting the engineers to sit neatly next to the beauty therapists and, and I'm saying oh come on you know tribe we're all together we're probably not we're more like Noah's Ark uh, we're all on, a, on the big boat in the middle of the water bobbing around uh, and, and you know the animals come in two by two um, and I think maybe that's a more uh, accepting the complexity might be the uh, part of the future uh, but if we come back to what the sector narrative is I think one of the difficulties we face um, and it creates a disconnect between certainly frontline teachers uh, and people who run colleges and, and certainly the, set, the wider sector in its broader sense is um, this kind of single skills narrative that has been pushed and accepted by the colleges and people who lead colleges and representative bodies of colleges. Yeah. Uh, partly, you know, it's a political uh, narrative. It says that um, colleges are there to serve industry and therefore... You know, this, this, you know, phrases like employers in the driving seat is about as crass a phrase as you're ever going to get. Um, and then you have, so then that's tied that with the marketization of FE. So it says, you know, yeah. industry need 200 bricklayers and therefore this college needs to do 200 bricklayers. And we've got LSIPs coming through the local skills improvement plans yeah. and county deals and devolution of, of skills budgets. And that makes a commissioning models very transactional. Yeah. Uh, and we've saw someone bought that narrative and fallen into it. Um, and I guess, it, I mean, one of my the, the big ticket questions I've got is, is it time to politicise FE again? Because we've, we, if you look back in the, you know, I love history. And I, and I, and I've, I, in lockdown, I, I wrote the college history for Free Coast College and dug it out. It's 120 years old. It's fascinating. Yeah. And, and um, back in the 19, uh, 1920s, there was a, an absolute fierce principal called Grace Musson. Uh, in Lowestoft 
and was remarkable because she pretty much founded the college and uh, and that was remarkable just from a gender point of view back then anyway and she led it for 25 years imagine someone leading the fe college now for 25 years and one of the things that she did though she was fascinated with changing policy and she was highly political in some of the writing that she did mm. um and i just look now and thinking who 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 are adopting positions of politics and education is a political act isn't it um it's it's about we're a political choice about what we fund what we don't fund what we value what we don't value you know it's results day today we're talking on results yeah, day. yeah i know you know t levels are you know are being pushed and and those those flags are waving really high it's you know not unremarkable that the pass rate's very very high as well on yeah. uh, on the blue ribbon uh, <laughs> government policy so i just wonder if we need to perhaps start a different conversation uh which is two things one is um it's always been education and skills where's the education bit gone and the second thing is probably realistically how might fe better serve its community or communities plural um if, it, if it's allowed to sort of stretch its political legs a little bit you know we've always been left aligned as a as a as a sector if you go back in its history but for the last decade we've not been we've been pretty much uh, aligned to the, the centre right of politics. Um, yeah, no, and it's funny because um, I was literally having this conversation yesterday about how I feel. All of a sudden, I felt really. I remember when this this new newish sort of skills agenda came through t levels came through it's quite exciting it was quite i love a challenge you know we sat around the table how are we going to do it right what could we learn from elsewhere and and, and it it did it made sense like there wasn't really one bit that i thought well that doesn't make sense but like everyone got it and i think that might be why people we we bought into it is there wasn't any sort of big clangers in there you know the issues were around funding and how we were actually going to make this happen mm. so whether that was planned or not is another is like another probably conversation but they probably there was a good job done about how this was pitched and we kind of all sat and nodded and went okay yeah great yeah we get it but the other day as I'm doing more and more reading and research and I'm um I'm not the history person. It's not that I don't like history, but it's just I naturally don't go to that place. But when I do, I find it fascinating because I'm I'm really interested in change. Mm. And what I noticed was all of a sudden this like feeling that I almost feel like as a person that the agenda is so narrow in that space. And it's like, like you said, transactional, it's this for that. And I'm a big, um, I love uh, well-being. I love the the concept of flourishing. I love human transformation. Um, I love growth. And I, I just think that in, in its simplest form, we're still missing this whole bit about emotional agility, emotional resilience, emotional literacy, um, being able to deal with stress. People, you know, the word resilience has got, has got a little bit sort of, means some things and not others and but there's there's something there is about growth as a person which is far greater and deeper beyond what we can put in a qualification that Effie has kind of always stood for that seems to have we're, we're acknowledging it and saying yes 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 we get it well-being 
mental health, da 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 da. But the, this this bigger concept about people development and person centric growth and transformation has kind of it, it's just not being talked about anymore. And earlier you said uh, a, a phrase which is about you know the things we're not talking about, and for me that's one of them. Yeah, I think you, I think you're right. I mean, look, the the um, so some of the policies laid out, you're, it's on rails, isn't it? I mean, there's you either do an apprenticeship, you do a, a T level, you do an A level. Um, just to even look at what we're not talking about there. We're not talking about anyone below level three. Yeah. Um, so that that in itself is kind of interesting. Then you, you further down the levels, certainly my college, probably the ones you worked in as well, is that um, students who are in certainly below level three require far more of actually that when you call it personal social development, when you call it that kind of broader mm. um, sort of person centric uh, development. Um, I think you're right, but that's been crowded out, hasn't it? Because it, so I've got no problem with the kind of a, that sort of the, sometimes the headline policy that comes out of, uh, of DFE is it's well meaning in its intent. Yeah. Um, it's back to its implementation is the difficult bit because if you take a, no matter how good the policy sort of statement is, if you don't fund it appropriately and create sufficient space, yeah, then then you're unlikely. It, it goes to its lowest common denominator. It's like you know, it's like going shopping with twenty quid in your pocket. You, you you've only got so much space in your basket. Yeah. And in England, we have some of the, you know, take about European models. We have some of the lowest number of teaching hours. So if a you know, a student is only getting 16, 15, 16 hours a week, mm. to and they've only got a year to learn to become a plumber, it doesn't surprise me that actually, and arguably rightly or wrongly teachers make choices about what they teach in those 15 hours and they'll say no johnny needs to become a plumber so let's make johnny a plumber and that requires a hell of a lot of technical skill and there might not be space to do personal social development there might not be space to let students have time to explore what you know that sense of self and emotional literacy and all those other things that we need to to survive so um, you're right, and I've done loads of work in the sector around mental health, as you know, chair a few groups around that. And one of the things that it, it's 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 felt like a bolt on uh, for a long time, but actually it might be the underpinning foundation about how do you get if someone can't hasn't can't emotionally self regulate or they don't understand sense of self or purpose, uh, then what chance have they got of academically flourishing? And I think that's, I've always innately just known that is, it, it's almost like people half make the connections between the jigsaw pieces, but like you say, because of accountability and, you know, all of the frameworks and the policy and that's in place, we don't always find the way to get that as our foundational learning. And, mm -hmm. and so it falls through the gaps and then we go right and then we go back to that qual delivery and what can we do for that hour those hours and ultimately what happens is I think it happens across education is all the great stuff all the sometimes um really important stuff that's really needed whether it be on a one-to-one -one basis or on a on a wider basis um ends up being done out of goodwill yeah and and teachers are absolutely and teams whole colleges are absolutely like worn out mm. um, yeah and, and it's interesting through the COVID you're absolutely right because it's true and if you think about you know the recent test through the COVID period um it was 
it was the teachers not working on the qual, but actually this other part became hugely more important. Mm-hmm. And and that is the the bit that's exhausting, and it's the bit that takes a huge amount of uh, a pr- puts a huge amount of pressure, uh, particularly on teaching staff actually, uh, but and certainly frontline support staff. And you think that there's it's back to that you know piece you said was if if we've got a single skills narrative that says it's it's an exchange of uh, I'm going to keep picking on plumbers, but <laughs> forgive me if you you know a plumber, but to you know if you if you talk to a, a, a plumbing employer, they want a great plumber. They're, they're not interested in a great citizen. Uh, <laughs> they don't want a conversation about someone's ability to uh, work within British values. They don't necessarily even think around English and maths. Is that they'll tell you they go, well, I don't really care if you if you know Johnny's got a GCSE. Yeah. Um, because the single transaction says lowest common denominator causes there to make a plumber. And I think that is a real sad place that we've got to. Um, and, and I think that's, the, I suppose that's the broader sense that the, the, the renegotiation of what FE is for is what I'd love to see, but how we get there is going to be quite difficult. And I think, I think, you know, if I glass half full to its results there, um, is, and I'm glass half full for a couple of reasons, three reasons I'm going to say. Actually, one is that um, FE teachers are amazing. Yeah. And it, uh, instinctively know to do the right stuff whether we're funded for it or not yeah um the the second thing is actually fe students are amazing and uh, and they instinctively will seek those kind of those helps and support mechanisms and it sometimes takes them longer but you know they, they, we get them there in the end of the kind of co-productive kind of uh, process mm. and then the third one is you know we won't have uh, a conservative government forever and and probably FE now needs to start getting its ducks in a row is how we will change the narrative and conversation with a change of government and uh, and can we use a, a change of government to re-establish a better um, FE sort of paradigm and I think if we win that argument by the way we, we'll get more funding automatically because yes. um, governments pay for what they want no matter what colour of the government and uh, and they'll pay for what they value and if we can win the value argument I think we'll uh, we'll do, do some well you know school schools don't have to argue whether you know PE is a good thing do they um, they get paid automatically for that um, yeah. I think FE needs to kind of do a little bit of that um, sorry I'm rambling you just no it's totally cool I'm just my my brain was like I was listening just like a little sponge just my brain going um because actually it's there's lots of things, there's lots of hard things, but there's like you were just reiterating, there's lots of amazing things as well. And we always do the best job um, with, with what we've got. And, but what I was thinking about was um, probably back to the leadership conversation mm-hmm. is that I, I now believe more than ever that in that place where we have our hands tied, we need to be creative and innovative and um, and that probably isn't common just to FE it's it's common to lots of industries um but again if we think about that wider curriculum or holistic development of students and staff you know it's sometimes we're not innately innovative or creative or this complex problem solving skill that we talk well it's the world economic forum that talks about that that I love that skills for the future you know the skills for the future conversation for me is that is that big picture but that's how my brain works I'm quite visionary very 
very big thinking not the um like skills for the economy to talk conversation even though I get it but that complex problem solving that innovation that creativity that doesn't come in a sort of um top-down approach that doesn't come with um strong sort of hierarchy it doesn't come with dictating what we do it comes with building autonomy it comes with building at every single level like you were saying leaders at all levels I I 100% um, believe the same because what comes out of our mouths uh, often makes us a leader or you know the way that we act our behavior makes us a leader and and if we're not trying to do that and lead and inspire students then what are we doing anyway but if we don't give room for that whether it be um training and management programs which are still kind of missing in FE um to some extent um or, or well there are there are some and I, I don't know them all and I haven't you know sat and critically reviewed them all but for me that that innovation that creativity that complex problem solving a doesn't come by doing a course and b has to be given space to be developed and for me that's all about human relationships and 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 that relational aspect of leadership because if we don't give space for people to have a voice, to feel safe in a space, to be able to think for themselves, to feel build their confidence in those spaces, we're never going to get those people. Mm, yeah, that, well, there's lots in lots in there, isn't there? And you're right. I don't think you learn some of this stuff from a, from a course necessarily. Mm. Uh, courses create spaces, perhaps uh, yeah. for, for for conversations. But uh, you know, you've got some jobs in FE that are you know, borderline impossible, you know, the curriculum manager sort of type sort of role, squeeze the middle, I remember reading a report years ago called that. And I don't think much has changed in, in, in some of that. I guess that my, my, my concern is that um, you've got a very positive narrative from what you've just said, you know, it's, it, but, but actually sometimes um, if the resource and space isn't there and it sometimes can't be created and that's the, I think what people are feeling right now is that it's not we can't just sort of box and cox our way out of it um any anymore I, I, the other thing that occurred to me when you were, when you were talking is about the certain about safe spaces um as a principal if i could ban one word from a, from a college i'd ban the word they um it's the bane of my life actually um it, whether i'm talking to leaders and managers or whether i'm talking to frontline teachers in, in listening groups and things like that is it uh, this, this language is clumsy it's something called oh it's you know we would do that but you know they won't let us oh uh, or, yeah. or they've, to, they've told us we have to do that and i'm like well who's the they yeah. can we name the they and literally i mean genuinely nine times out of ten when i'm in, in listening groups with with, with teaching staff and, I, and, I, and I, just, I talk about barriers and say well you know what what's in your way and uh, and it's they won't won't let us do this and often when you track it down it's actually someone's misinterpreted a, a rule or misinterpreted some of the things or just slightly just crassly got it wrong and made an error and it, but it's creating this massive pressure somewhere else along the along along the pipe and then the you know the other word i would kind of ban is is paperwork <laughs> yeah. uh, what's one of the barriers oh well you know the job is brilliant except for the paperwork well what do you mean paperwork it's a register of paper oh well yeah we need registers all oh, right so what about ILP? Oh, well actually yeah we do need an ilp all right, so we're planning progression with students. Oh yeah, I do need to do that. Parents reporting? Yeah, we need to write parents reports home. And actually it, it's just this kind of blamed um, 
sort of once again it's another flawed narrative yeah um, and if we can get together with people and, and work out and be more precise in our language perhaps um, I think colleges and departments and staff rooms will be a better place to be because um, often actually what we just described it's not the volume of paperwork it's sometimes clumsy process design or it's uh, multiple entry into things and um, and that and what it is is it's frustration it's an extra bit yeah. and that I found that at nearly every college I've been into the headaches are the systems and the processes and that like say multiple entries and how things are not talking to each other the amount that phrase things don't talk to each other mm. um it's well, all people don't like, talk to each other yeah, that's the problem people don't <laughs> talk to each other and i think that's the thing um thinking about what you said about um where people say oh they they say i can't do x y or z i have found that we have to be more explicit about some of the narrative that we have or the things that we think that maybe we don't say Mm. So I am often very open in a leadership message about what does this mean. So um, when we're when we're talking about a change or when we're talking about um, a shift in in perspective, I often try to say, okay, so what does this look like or what does this mean, or and what's the why around this? And I and I think we're not often explicit enough to say it's okay to do this in different ways and you might be able to do it like this or you might be able to do it like this or it might look like this and we're not going to dictate the exact how but we do have this system that has to hold x y and z and we do have to do this bit but I don't think we're always explicit in that so people hear a message and they take it as this is what I've got to do and that's how I've got to do it and then the interpretation is oh I'm not allowed to do this other stuff so I always try to be really explicit what that looks like um but it you know that is hard as um because you're also you're saying the things that you want to say and that you need to say but you're also trying to say the things that you you're not obviously saying or think you don't need to say and it, it becomes like okay how do I make sure that everyone gets this big picture but yeah I think there's there's loads of things to think about if if I, I wouldn't do a curriculum manager's job like today you know if if you paid me a million pounds if I'm really honest but what I have loved this year is the support and development I see the people who work in quality improvement as almost like um, the sidekicks to that role who can really help them to do that role um and, and provide the support not provide just the measuring of and the accountability of the other the other conversation um I had yesterday was about how responsibility and accountability have become blurred or have kind of slid and you know if you asked a teacher are they responsible for what they do like everyone would always assume that they are responsible for what they do but the narrative and the language has become about accountability and I think we're at a point where that could be really quite detrimental to culture if mm. we're not careful about how we we lead with those words are, words are powerful aren't they yeah they are hugely I mean what talk about change is realistically you know uh, you, you know, people in my job and people like me are 
our only job is to lead change really and yeah and that's a powerful phrase by Stephen Gottfield uh, the psychotherapist who said you know all change involves loss or loss involves change and what we're not great at in our, in our sector is is what is giving things up and accepting that actually to get this other thing you know to get, to get a you have to give up b yeah and and you're right actually one of, so one of the spaces i think are available in terms of creativity that we don't always accept or acknowledge and i think it's a it, it probably exists in every college is that people in in, in authoritative leadership roles um absolutely should define define the what and arguably should define the why mm. um, that's about setting the principles out um but actually here's, here's the real opportunity is actually in most colleges teachers still teach behind closed doors and so the the what and the, and the why might be defined but actually the how is entirely in the gift uh of, of, of a teacher and i think that that's always has been liberating for people who've got it and, and i think sometimes in sort of teachers that the, there's a the frustration of being constrained by the system whatever the system is you know run by the they probably and and actually when you really can drill down heart to heart you there's a huge amount of breadth um, and capacity to to pedagogically lead in whatever way you you want um slightly constrained by awarding bodies perhaps or you know you've got to teach unit three before you teach unit five and some of those kind of weird combination things yeah but i think there is some i think there's opportunity there i really do um i mean one of my concerns is that at the moment pressure is is pushing on staff so hard from my teaching staff that you know our teaching staff equipped to to you know, literally survive let alone thrive uh, in this world because we're not particularly healthy a sector um and I, and I and it's hard then the tension i guess is who is it self-help people need or is it prescribed help from you know which can often be seen as condescending by an institution of saying well you know here's here's the conditions perhaps so yeah. i think that's still one of the tensions that i i'm still wrestling with yeah, and I think um, some of the things I've seen massively um, successful this year is um, professional development frameworks that I've implemented with structured autonomy and um, giving people choice. And yes, there'll always need to be some mandatory training. Yes, we need to create whatever that training looks like if someone's a new new to, to FE, but also, also we need to create the choice within that and that's how we grow professionalism mm. you'll need to understand the why to be and the purpose to be able to make good choices and that's where for me I'm really passionate about coaching and mentoring especially coaching and um you know really encouraging and inspiring people through coaching to make good choices for themselves to be their best self um but allowing for choice and then people understanding that it's okay to make a choice and then design what that kind of looks like and feels like for them for that year with that frequent sort of coaching mechanism in place and professional conversations I've seen some real significant um, changes in people and um, culture around that so um, yeah we're fast running out of time um, but I think before we run out of time um, I'm just like we can answer things quite quickly, even though they're still big questions. But you know, if we're going to move forward in FE, what do you think? You know, the what big one, two, three things would be that we need to sort of really think about. 
and move. Okay, uh, yeah, rapid, rapid through a few yeah. things. Uh, I think we need a rapid response to the cost of living crisis now because that's going to affect the conditions about all that stuff we've just been talking about richly around teaching and learning, and and that drives distress and and people's home lives are fast drifting further and faster into college life than I've ever seen before. Yeah. Uh, I find that a real concern. Um, I think there is time to restart a debate around uh, sort of, you know, what's the FE sector like post-incorporation? Can we get marketization out of FE in, in a meaningful way? And in turn, that will adjust that kind of skills agenda uh, conversation. Um, I think there is probably, um, I don't think there's a sector-wide or, or often college-wide approach to things like teacher shortages. Um, and and that's not just linked to pay, it's bit, but but partly is, and I think at the moment every college is, is doing its best, but it's constrained by by pay. And until there's pay parity between certainly FE and schools, um, that's the starting point. Perhaps I mm -hmm. think it's it's probably more complex than that because it's got to interact with with the industrial counterparts at some some point. So those are kind of my my my, my big few. I guess the, the the one we had the conversation around earlier is how do you create space in a curriculum and therefore a funding envelope for things outside of skill development um, meaningfully. And so those, those are the kind of I've given you four, I think. Yeah, you have, um, and I've loved it, Stuart. And thanks so much for joining me. Um, I we I always invite people on who I end up feeling like I could talk to them for three days. <laughs> Oh, um, but thank you so much for being here it's been great i hope you've well, enjoyed it as well i really have you know the, the, these opportunities are brilliant and it, it it's you know helped stretch my thinking around different different topics as well I'm, i've now written myself a list of things i'm gonna have to go and do uh, <laughs> so that's that's really helpful isn't it and uh, you know there is joy in fe isn't there and and still hopefully remains so so well done to everyone though genuinely staff and students who, who listen to this who've done their results today because They've done an absolute sterling job over the last couple of years. Yeah, they really have. Thank you so much, Stuart. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Leave us a voice message in Anchor. Tweet us and let us know what you think or what you want to hear on the show. Tune in next week for more. Have an amazing week and be the best version of you.